What's up? What's happening? Welcome here to Lacrosse. Now he is Tom Eshin. I'm Travis Sudgers. Thanks for making us part of your week. Uh, first week of 2022, which means we continue to look ahead to the 2022 college lacrosse season. We're less than a month away from the first games being played of this year. So that's exciting news. We got uh, previews coming up from both the Atlantic Sun, new yep. men's conference, same women's conference, also uh, the SOCON as well. And some great guests today, as always. We have Nick Myers, the head yes. coach of Ohio State. We'll talk to him in a really fun conversation with Carson Harris, the Drexel All-American. She was awesome for that team. A lot of fun with her. Um, really a, a great uh, personality, and she's so good on the field, too. We'll talk about that with Drexel. Including uh, the... Gift. The, yeah, the going away of skinny jeans. That's what I was trying oh, to say. Oh, yeah. They're gone. Yeah, there's a Christmas gift and yeah. jeans involved. Anyway, just stay tuned for that. Yeah. Um, but we're going to start. We're going to start with the college game, and we're going to start with some transfers that are going to make their name in a new place. New year, new team for some of these players. But we're not going to look at just the players individually. We're going to look at what teams benefited the most from transfers entering 2022. Why don't you kick us off? Who you got is benefiting the most from transfers here? Um, I am starting off with Georgetown men. And, and okay. I think that, you know, they didn't bring in a whole bunch of them. But, you know, you start headlined by Will Bowen. Uh, and I think that helps reinforce a little bit of what they already had. And, and kind of the, the vibe of this Georgetown team and sort of what is now being created there, I, I think – I really like it because, you know, they can score. Last year we saw them score with the best of them. And then you can see them on the defensive end getting tougher. And they've got already Owen McElroy, the goalie Gibson yep. Smith on defense, and Bowen will play alongside him. And then Graham Bundy to go along with all of that. It seems like they've now got all these pieces in place to really make a run at being one of the best teams in the country. They also bring in Alex Trippy yep. from North Carolina. So I, I also like that with bringing in a couple of guys from the same school. We, we're seeing uh, Maryland do that um, at the same time as well. And so you've you got a couple of guys that I think that really helps the transition and just the fact that they know each other. They can sort of do this all together instead of being just that outlier player that is, is you know, sort of on the outside looking in. I think that can really make a big difference so they bring in Bowen Trippy, and then this kid Connor Morin at a big sophomore year 36 points and then he's quiet as a freshman junior and senior Notre Dame um, yes. is where he's yeah. from so he's also 6'3 220 so you've got a lot of big physical guys and, and and sort of this chip on the shoulder for Georgetown I just like their their intensity and what they brought in so I think reinforces that too yeah, the defense is going to just be yeah. absolutely loaded. You add Will Bowen to a guy who is considered one of the best defenders in the country in Gibson Smith and the reigning best goalie in the country. Yeah. I mean, that defense is going to be loaded. And then we, we talked about it in the Big East preview. The big question offensively is how do you replace Jake Carraway? Well, you now have some options along with what they have yeah. coming back. So right. high-impact guys for Georgetown. I, I like that pick. You mentioned Maryland, and, and that's my first pick here on the men's side because – you, you look at high-impact guys, because that's what we're looking at here. It, obviously, numbers are great, but you need – who are guys that are going to step on the field and be difference makers right away? And Maryland's got a bunch of them to an already very talented team that they have coming back from a team that went to the championship yep. game last year. But you add in an All-American midfielder in Jonathan Donville from Cornell, who not only was great at Cornell – obviously, we didn't see him last year – but great at Cornell, playing alongside Jeff Teat. So you know he can play alongside – very talented players. I think that's key. Also won a Minto Cup. So he's got all sorts of experience playing on big stages. Yeah. Important when you're going to play at Maryland and hashtag be the best and expect to be a championship weekend. He's not scared of that. 
Then you add in Keegan Khan, and I've had a chance to do a bunch of Villanova games the last couple of years. This dude has been their leading scorer and one of their primary guys over the last couple of seasons, really since he stepped on campus there at Villanova. So to see him now go to Maryland and be not the number one option, now yeah. he's a couple down the depth chart in terms of uh, attackmen that people have to look out for. I'm curious what he can do against a third or fourth defender for an opposing team. Mm -hmm. That just adds another dynamic to this offense. And then on the back end, another Villanova guy. You mentioned groups of guys going to yeah. programs. Owen Probilski is a terrific defender coming from Villanova, transferring to Maryland. Big body. He was part of a really large defensive unit on the back end for Villanova the last couple of years. Has tons of starting experience. Had 17 cause turnovers a year ago. I like him as a high-impact guy. And then you have some other guys that add numbers. Gavin Ty at the face-off X gives him some depth there from Virginia. Owen Murphy, an attackman from Hopkins, comes over. So the high-impact guys are there, and also you add some depth. I, I think Maryland did an incredible job in the transfer portal. Yeah, I, you mentioned face-off, and Gavin Ty was one that I thought of and came in pretty highly touted to Virginia. Just, yes. I mean, Petey LaSalle has turned himself into one of the best in the country on a yearly basis. So his consistency and familiarity there, I, I think you might see a, just a, a big season from Ty there at the X, and that – for Maryland, not something that you could say has been one of their strengths, even though they've had so many different strengths. That hasn't been one of them the last couple of years. Well, and remember with Maryland, they're a team that likes having a couple options yeah. at the X. We've seen it yeah. the last several years where, and especially with the new face-off rules, we talked to Greg Gredley and having different options to throw out there of guys who could do right. different things and maybe True. match up with a guy in a different way, depending on who you're playing, is a great option to be able to have. Yeah, I mean, they had, what, Henningsen graduate a couple of years yep. back, and, and of course, he did a little bit in the pro game, too, so obviously he was sort of along that same mentality, and they sort of trying to re replicate that again here with, like you said, a lot of reinforcements. Yeah, so uh, Maryland only got better through the transfer yeah, portal. I mean, you, you, lose, you lose Bernhard and you got to find a way to fill those holes and immediately you got a lot of options there. Yeah, and don't forget, I mean, Logan Wisnowskis is the new number one, and I mean, the, the no no questions. The Terps just are going to continue to kind of reload and, yeah. and be back into the conversation. And, and obviously, you, you have, if you have a program with that sort of um, legacy, yeah. it's easy to sell guys that come over there. So Who's gonna, your other one? Yeah, we'll go for the program with the legacy with one that doesn't have any legacy at all. I'm going <laughs> with the Pittsburgh women. I find oh. it fascinating. You know, and these, these, new, these new clubs building programs, new schools, and they go in the transfer portal and, and they get Paige Petty. From Virginia Tech. That's a huge win. The, the, the best player, the most maybe the accolades in Virginia Tech history yeah. goes and, and helps a school start their program. I think that is, is so important for, you know, for somebody in the ACC, Pittsburgh. It's going to be so tough on a weekly basis. But, I mean, there's going to be a lot of positives there because of someone like Paige Petty. And they also, in addition to Paige Petty, on the back end of all of that, they go in a grad transfer, Allison Trice, Started every game for Syracuse her senior year. So she comes in as a grad yep. transfer as um, someone with more experience and can really help that program with Coach Boissano. And I think that that's going to make a big difference for them and just the where they can go maybe year one to year two and having something that's been there and done that offensively and defensively that have done it at different programs, they can bring that perspective in. I really like what that does for the future of Pittsburgh. I mean, think of what they're trying to do here at Pitt. Like, not only are you a brand-new program, which already has its hurdles in terms yeah. of trying to compete, you're now trying to compete in the best lacrosse conference in the country. I mean, maybe you could argue one of the best conferences in any sport 
in the country, period. I mean, you're, yeah. you're talking about teams that are always in the conversation for the national championship. They with three Final Four teams last year in yep. UNC, BC, and Syracuse. Syracuse yep. And you're set in six to seven of the eight or nine teams in the NCAA tournament every year. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's loaded. And as Pittsburgh, you're trying to be one of those. Right. right? I mean, at some point, yeah. <laughs> you're trying, that's, what you're, that's what you're trying to attain. And it's a tough uphill battle. But I think um, the way you build programs now, and this is a good, way, interesting way to do it. Utah, we saw maybe another example on the men's side. You saw them do that a little bit after a couple of years. Yeah. Um, and bringing uh, Colin Burke uh, from over in um, Fairfield and yep. at a good scorer there. So they've done that a little bit more. But Pittsburgh, right off the bat, first season transfers. And I like Petty, too because she helped kind of lead the way for Virginia yeah. Tech in, in a couple of program firsts over the course of her early part of her career. Yeah. So somebody who's done that somewhere else in the ACC, familiar with the conference, and now yeah. tries to do it at Pitt. Career goals, record, points, goals in a season, points in a season, all holding that at Virginia, uh, Virginia Tech as she leaves. Pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. All right, uh, I've got a double dip both a men's and a women's team for my final one, but because they're very similar. And I'm going down to Topaco Road, and it's the Duke men and the North Carolina women. I put them in the same mm. category because it's kind of like the best and most talented keeps getting yeah. better for both of these programs. It's like they just roll out the red carpet. They look at the transfer portal. And if there's a great player in there, they say, do we want them? <laughs> and chances are they're probably going to get them yeah. if they want them. Like that That's really what it comes down to. For Duke, let's start with them. Because on top of everything they have coming back and one of the top recruiting classes in the country once again this year, they add in some really key pieces that can add some uh, some talent onto this roster. You got Jack Frasole from Harvard, who is a name that people not may not be too familiar with in the midfield, but he's a two-way guy, which I think is really important in the ACC. He can and has in his career at Harvard scored points, get assists. But he's also a guy who can play some face-off wings. He can get back and play defensively as a short-stick D-midi. And you talk about the ACC, like the talent in the midfield, whether yeah. it's Syracuse, North Carolina, Virginia. Like, you've got to have guys that can match up and then maybe go the other way and quickly in transition. I think that's always a spot you need more depth. And adding for Soli out of Harvard is a great addition. Then you go to elsewhere in the Ivy League. And you bring in Sean Lowley, who at Penn only had 30 points in five games in 2020 the last time we saw him. Yeah. I mean, they're adding maybe one of Penn's best offensive weapons from the last couple of years, including that team that nearly made the Final Four. And now you're bringing him down to Tobacco Road to add to all the other offensive depth they Absolutely. have. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that one, I, I didn't realize that until we were started talking about it today. I go, wow. Like, that. that's a wow impact yes. for sure. Big time. And then... They didn't just add some older guys. They also added Grant Mitchell out of Ohio State. He's a member of the U21 Team USA team, along with guys like Brendan O'Neill, who are already there at Duke. And he's a big midfielder. Had a little bit of success early in his career at Ohio State. A little bit kind of mixed in with the different veteran guys that the Buckeyes had. But keep an eye on him over the next couple of years as a dynamic downhill type dodging midfielder. Big, big body coming in uh, from Ohio State. So there's Duke. Then for North Carolina, all you need to know is the, the two key names that the women added, along with all the other talent they still have, and Olivia Dirks, an All-American from Penn State, and Andy Aldave coming in from Notre Dame. I mean, both of those players, if they stay at their respective programs, are players that probably could be in a Tawarton-type conversation if their teams have a successful year. 
And so they just go ahead and bring in two of them to go along with the other three or four players that they have that could be in the Tourton conversation. You could have a whole finalists <laughs> from North Carolina's women's team yeah. as the tour time finalists. Yeah. Like, that is the type of talent this team has brought in. Yeah, between uh, Emma Trenchard and Taylor Moreno on the back end for them and Jamie Ortega, obviously, it's it's a lot. And it, it, it's a lot for anyone to handle. And, I mean, you got to say, North Carolina had the run last year. Yep. And they might be saying, well, now, like, we, we have to do this again. They can't run into that buzzsaw that is Boston College. I mean, right. they're going to have some clashes this year for sure with, with Charlotte North leading the way and once again Carolina re refueling and uh, there's certainly a chip on the shoulder mm -hmm. down there we talked to Olivia Dirks about that her experience just feeling out this team and her, her first fall right. in Chapel Hill they're hungry there's there's a feeling like oh we've got all this talent but not quite the coronation of last year because BC's taken some of that attention off so I Absolutely. think that might be a a good thing for UNC. Yeah, uh, I think that's interesting. Might I had an honorable mention, Maryland women. Yes. I think Aurora accordingly from Johns Hopkins. Uh, good primed addition. for a big role there. And Abby Bosco, a defender from Penn, uh, also will make big impacts for the Maryland women who look to get sort of back to their regular ways of Maryland, which we haven't seen. All right. So before we get to our interviews with Nick Myers and company coming up here, Carson Harris as well from Drexel. We're going to start with our previews here. Yes. And just one preview to do for the SOCON. They don't have a women's division, so we go for the SOCON men. Who do you like this year in the Southern Conference? In the Southern Conference this year, I am going with Richmond. It okay. was tough. It was between, you know, Richmond and High Point. They sort of go back and forth every single don't year. Don't forget about Jacksonville. And, and Jacksonville as well. I was always in the mix, always in the conversation. But I think Richmond and High Point, you see what they have coming back. You know, Jacksonville, they were too... Were, they return Jack Dolan, their top scorer yeah. from last year. They lose the other top two. They return a lot of their defense. So, like you said, they're going to be competitive. This is going to be fun um, and sort of this restructured uh, SOCON with Hampton obviously entering the fold as well yes. there. Um, but I love Ryan Lanchbury, and, and I think that really good. He, he maybe is – flown a little bit too far under the radar for my likely in the last few years. Um, he loses his bandmate there, Richie Connell, who goes off to Denver, but they do return Dalton Young. He had 35 goals. That was tied for with the most goals on the team with Connell. So you still have someone to work with, Lanchbury, who's obviously such a good feeder. He's so good with the ball and working through. They also have a transfer from Mount St. Mary's, Luke Frankeny, who had 26 goals last year. They return their goalie as well. So I like what Richmond has, and and I think that they also, we talked about the chip on the shoulder with North Carolina women. I think they have a bit of a chip on their yeah. shoulder, losing the high point, of course, in the championship of the SOCON last year, a, a, a league in which Richmond sort of has run the last few seasons. Yes. And winning that championship for them um, is almost a, a not a given, but at the end of the year, you're like, well, there's Richmond again. And no matter what you see in the regular season, high points, awesome wins uh, on the road against Virginia or Duke, and that one year, Richmond at the end of the day in the conference has been on the top. And last year was the year they weren't. So high point. And Asher Nolting is just the counterpoint, I guess, if you will, to Lansbury. I can't wait to see them battle it out. Yeah, it, it certainly looks like those two teams are going to be once again in the class. Yeah. I think Jacksonville may be in the conversation if you're looking at a third team now that Air Force is in the Atlantic Sun. We'll talk about them later. But with, I'm glad you mentioned Lansbury because he's a guy that I think some people speculate and may be one of those type of transfers that could make a big impact in a major program somewhere else if mm. he decided, hey, I'm going to enter the transfer right. portal. Same thing that you look at when you see Asher Nolting. Like, mm. there was speculation. Does he just decide, I got one more year, I'm going to go somewhere else and make a big splash? I give a lot of respect to both of these guys for staying where they are, trying mm. to finish it out. 
And so uh, my pick is going to be High Point, and you hit on some of the things I'm about to talk about. It's just a toss-up. I think it's going to come down to these two programs once again. Both of them challenge themselves in the non-conference play, yeah. and both are going to be in the top 20 conversation throughout the year once again. I mean, you look at who High Point's playing in the non-conference. They're playing Maryland, Virginia, Navy, Duke, and North Carolina. Yeah. I mean, they were an honorary ACC team last year <laughs> with the COVID issues. They were like any ACC team right, that just needed somebody. They, they were ready to play. It was within a week's time or back-to-back, -back, whatever it was, was. Yeah, and it continues. Look, at, at, with High Point, they finally got over the hurdle last year. Like, mm. they yeah. over the last couple of years, they've been kind of that – that fun team to watch on yeah. a Thursday. Maybe they, they played somebody really tough. They beat Duke or they challenged North Carolina. They gave Virginia all they could handle, whatever it was. But then when it came down to the end of the year, it was Richmond getting it done. Yeah. Well, High Point finally got it done. It first since 2015 Yeah, for they them. finally got it done at the end of back. the year yeah. in this stretch that has been so exciting for this program. I think they carry it over, and I think the confidence of having gotten it done will do a lot for them. Now I think the big question for them is what kind of statements do they make outside? Do they just challenge a bunch of people and then not get a, not beat Richmond again in the conference? Because at the end of the day, they can play Maryland, Duke, North Carolina as tough as they want. Unless they win two or three of those games, they're going to have to have to right. beat Richmond at the end of the year. And Jacksonville. And They've Jacksonville probably, probably Jacksonville too. Jacksonville at some yeah. point at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> so that will be the big question. But Asher Nolting's back. Braden Maella is back. Both of them were two of the top three scorers. They, they, they only lose one guy in the top five or six. Uh, they got Parker Green back in goals. So, I mean, this team is raring to go again. Yeah. Everybody came in back. I mean, as soon as Asher Nolting decided like we're getting the gang back together I yeah. think High Point knew this could be another special yeah game. their back end I think is going to be better this year they've got some experience there as well on defense so I think that also will help them um, and, and sort of navigate and maybe take some of the onus off of Asher Nolting to do so much because we, we know what he can do when he has the ball like he yes. is one of the most dynamic scorers in the country I think maybe at times trying to do a little bit too much I think if he can hone a little bit more of that like you said I think you get some of those wins um, maybe when you t technically shouldn't you know, right. outside of the conference. No, you're right. Um, so, high point going to be tested in non-conference. Uh, I like them. Tom likes Richmond in, spiders. The, in the SoCon. Uh, speaking of teams that are going to be tested in the non-conference, Ohio State has quite the schedule. We're going to talk with Nick Myers here coming up. So, we got the Buckeyes head coach, Nick Myers, joining us now. Um, coach, I'm going to go out on a limb here and hope I get an answer that, unlike what Bill Belichick gave to a reporter, uh, get any New Year's resolutions? Oh, come on, man. <laughs> Listen, it's good to see both of you. I appreciate you. And uh, I'll like to – I'll keep those to myself. <laughs> so, I didn't get an answer. All right. Is that supposed to be the – there's some unspoken coach, like, <laughs> thing going on where that is just the question not to ask these Either days. that or I got too many to share. I don't know. Yeah, you know there's a lot, of, a lot of work to be done. So, <clears throat> So you guys, you guys are back on campus, ready to go. It's got to be exciting to have the, the team back uh, and ready. So, I mean, you look at everything from 2021, Big Ten, you guys only played each other. There were so many different things going on. We obviously still have things going on here in 2022. But I, I think you, if you look back, what did you learn from that whole 2021 experience? And, and what are you guys trying to take away from what that season was and, and as you move forward? Yeah, no, listen, I think you can always have takeaways. You know, we were certainly disappointed um, with the competitive outcome uh, of the year, but I think the growth, uh, the ability to put the team under a spotlight, under a ton of strain and different types of strain, you know, anytime you, you, you're under duress, you, you find out about yourselves. 
Uh, the people here in this department have been just incredible. You know, I, I'm very fortunate. It, you know, you you hunker down and, and the people that are closest to you, your staff, your players, you know, you grow closer to. And I certainly feel like that's the case. Um, you know, and I think coming out of it, you know, and, and again, I, I use that, that that phrase loosely, but, you know, where we are now, you know, I just think there's a sense of grace. You know, I think the the spirit about this team this fall was a little bit different. Uh, I think the appreciation that, that maybe we have for each other and for the process and for just the game as a whole is one that maybe is just a little richer. Uh, so that that is always a great thing, you know, when you build that into your men. And, uh, you know, we have a ton of excitement, uh, as, as many do, about getting this thing going in 22. Yeah, I mean, you have another – I mean, it's, it's fascinating because you think about the difference in the schedule just from, from the year to year, and I don't know which is tougher because obviously you play such great – teams and schools outside of the conference but last year you're like every single week it was it was an on it was it was like a gauntlet I don't know how how do you guys manage going back to some non-conference play um in addition to of course at the end of the year playing you know the Big Ten again yeah I think scheduling is a huge part of it. you know certainly being in Ohio uh, I've always looked up to you know coach Corrigan for example when I first took over as head coach you know I, I studied the way they scheduled and it's, it's challenging you know to get teams you know out of conference to get out here and, and sometimes that means it's a flight or it's a bus so you rely on relationships you know you got to build your team to a point where people want to come out and, and see it as a, as a value add and you also feel responsibility you know to to play those that are that are building in your your backyard you know those are those are tough teams I mean you look at Detroit and Cleveland State I got a ton of respect for those two programs uh, and the way they've been led and, and the way that they approach things two two quality opponents that will play anybody anywhere. So, you know, we'll get two tough te- two tough, tough tests right out of the gate. And, um, you know, the Big Ten schedule, you know, I think opened my eyes to like, golly, man, like, let's go for it. You know, like, oh, if we can do that, you know, let's, yeah. let's, let's schedule. And I think RPI would lend itself to tell you, you know, with the, with the way our sport is designed right now, you know, there's the same number of AQs as there are at large. And that, that kind of makes lacrosse a bit of an outlier, mm. you know? So when you're looking at, you know, certainly the goal is to, to win the big 10. Um, but you want, you know, in 2017, we were the third seed in the NCAA tournament and we were an at large bid, mm. you know? So I think you have to be realistic to say, Hey, listen, how do we put ourselves in a position schedule wise where we can, we can be in contention for one of those at-larges, and, and it has to be not only addition to your conference, but also non-conference. So adding Carolina, you know, adding Harvard, adding Dartmouth, you know, Denver's back on there, you know, and then, um, you know, Cornell, uh, another great Ivy League school. I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody here, but it, it's pretty robust, man. It, I think we're a top 10, if not a top five strength of schedule. And, you know, our men are excited about that. That's what we want men to get excited about when they come here to play for Ohio State. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you hit on them all. Those, those are all pretty <laughs> tough, tough games for you guys out of conference. Uh, you mentioned the North Carolina game, and obviously there's a, a really special tie with Joe Bresci, obviously, to the Ohio State program. And it's always been one of the coolest moments of fall ball to see the game that you guys have put together, together over the last couple of years. Uh, what people threw went into the decision to make this a part of the spring and how cool of a moment that will be to have that game also count toward the regular season, but also knowing what that means to the Bresci family. Yeah, I mean, I, it's hard even to encapsulate it all, right? I mean, I, I agree with you that that weekend for us in the fall is one that we circle every year. There's so much more than just the game that weekend and having it here this year was, was really special. Um, to fire it back up, you know, the, the fellowship between the two teams, you know, these guys that are fifth year seniors that are playing for me, they've had you know, four experiences now where they've interacted with the Carolina family and we ha- we break bread and we, and we talk about the spirit of Michael. Uh, so I do think, I mean, we're competitive as all get out when we play on the field. And then, you know, afterward we do. And I just think in the spirit of lacrosse and, and certainly Michael, that's 
that's what it's all about, you know? So I think that really brings it full circle. And, um, you know, Michael's spirit certainly alive and well here in Columbus. Joe and I are, are very close. And, you know, we looked at it. We just said, look at it, man. It's been a while since we played. You know, the last time we, we connected was in the horseshoe in Columbus. Um, I think you got to go back to maybe 2010, 2011 when that was. Uh, my son, Mason, I guess it was 2011 because 2010 we played Carolina. That was the last time we played. My son was born the next day. Oh, jeez. Um, and uh, so, you know, there's just a lot of, um, you know, crossover there. And, I, you know, look, at they were the number one team in the country last year. They were the one seed in the NCAA tournament. So put all that aside, I mean, it's a huge value add to our schedule. And now that we're doing a home-and-home, home, mm -hmm. our hope is that in 23, uh, they'll be one of the first, if not, if not the first team to play in our brand-new uh, home venue. You know, and, yeah. and Coach Bresci, big big part of that. You know, let's not let's be clear. I mean, he he's had his, certainly a big hand in in building what is Buckeye Lacrosse, and and uh, I think to have him here and, and have him be one of the first opponents in that new stadium will be pretty special. So I don't know if it'll go beyond that or not, um, but I do think this home and home is something we're both really excited about. I mean, you mentioned, you know, the, the bit of the group and the guys that have been through that, and they've been through a lot, you know, over these past four or five years. And just being able to have that much experience and guys that age, I, I'm not sure you've probably had anything like that. A lot of these schools haven't with the extra year. How does that impact the sort of the dynamic of your group um, this year, knowing you've got, you know, some guys that have been around the block for, for a while, and you probably have more of those than you ever have? It's awesome. I mean, I just, <laughs> I, like I said, I'm lo I love it. And I think that you know, if we're doing the job that we we set out to do as teachers, you know, by the time these guys are in that fourth year of the program, the ownership that they feel in Buckeye Lacrosse, um, the strength of brotherhood, uh, you know, to, to have them be able to experience that for another year and then to be able to really pour that and disciple, if you will, other young Buckeyes and, and the relationship that I feel like I have with those guys is just so rich and so uh, genuine. I just feel like, you know, I'm really fortunate. You know, I know that's not going to last forever. I know a fifth year guy is, is not something that you get, you know, every year. And eventually we'll probably get fewer and fewer of these. But, you know, even before COVID, when we had Buckley for that fifth year, you know, Barker for that fifth year, like when you get a guy that that just it works and it makes sense and it fits and he pours his heart in the program, that that final year can be really powerful, not just between player and coach, but but really between player and player. I, that's where I see the biggest you know, value add, if you will, is the way those guys can can humble themselves and, and really just offer themselves to the young guys in terms of what does it take? Yeah, I tell you what, there's a lot of growing up that happens from like 18 years old to 22. No offense to the freshmen, but well, like there's the a different person exactly. that's leaving I was just, a college than coming in. Yeah, yeah Travis, yeah, I was just thinking about, you know, when I first played I in football, I remember stepping on campus as a freshman and I remember like the captains were leading the meeting. And I'm looking at this guy, I'm like, that's a grown man. Like, I'm just some little 18-year-old kid. But then you become that. I, I think it's such an amazing – I'm glad Travis okay. mentioned that. And you talked about that, Coach. Like, it's such an amazing sort of thing to follow. And, of course, as a coach, you get to see that happen and come to fruition every year. Yeah. Well, one quick example. Jackson Reed was this year's Michael Robert Bresci recipient. And Jackson's a fifth year for us. Um, you know, he's a young man who comes to us from Canada but was down, down at Culver. Uh, his mom, incredible lady, Denise – uh, she had she was here, uh, got over the border, had been almost a year since she'd been here. And, and she was present when her son was presented with uh, the Michael Bresci, you know, scholarship, which is as high an honor as you can receive in our program. And and part of that is addressing, you know, four or five hundred people, you know, both teams, your peers and parents. And we had this massive crowd and 
I tell you, man, listening to that speech, it was like, it was such an incredible moment for me. And I, I looked back and I made eye contact with her. And, you know, part of that was like, that's your boy. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's, he's a, he's a grown ass man now, you know, like <laughs> yeah. listening to him speak. Sorry, I probably shouldn't say that, but he, listening to him and, 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 the, and the strength of his voice, the humility in his voice, and like, like the growth from where he was when he got here, man, it's just like, it's, it's cool, you know, cause you see those moments and God, it just feels really good. Cause I know that's why we all do this is, is the teaching component of it. And for these, some of these fifth year guys that, that come back, most of them come back for a reason, you know, they come back cause they just, they feel like there's more to give. And a lot of times that goes way beyond the field. You mentioned Jackson Reed. He's obviously one of the talented offensive players you have returning. And you also have Jack Myers back. And I remember doing, it may have been his freshman year, uh, a game for you guys a couple of years ago. And I remember seeing the upside. You looked at him and he's like, when it clicked for him, it just looked so easy. He made it look effortless in how he was able to manage the offense. And I think he continued to see that evolve over his couple of years there on campus. Is there a next level for him? Like, how have you seen him develop and what that trajectory is as an attackman? I think there is. I do. I mean, simple answer, yes. Yeah, I think Jack is, is, is kind of now emerged. If he didn't last year, you know, these guys are first team all Big Ten. You know, that's, that's a pretty big honor. And, and yeah. I think he earned that. Uh, that's, that's something the that coaches vote on. You know, so I think, you know, to receive that kind of recognition from, from your coaches' peers, I think really speaks to what people, you know, what they think of Jack. And I do think he's a guy that's a little different than the Jesse Kings, the Shusses of the world. You know, some of the big time scores we've had here, Trey obviously being the most recent, he, he falls into a little bit different bucket. And I've had a lot of fun with Jack and just conversations about how we develop him. How do we keep taking that next step um, as a ball carrying guy that has two hands, that has good vision, um, that I think can play a lot of different spots in the field. He's not a Sowers amen, like break your ankles guy, but he's also, you know, a guy that I think can can distribute and, and do some things in the early offense. Um, you know, so I think he's a hybrid, you know, somewhere between like a, a, a Stanwick, a Spencer, a, a Gill, you know, going back to like, he's got that the size, uh, he's got the vision and he's got better feet than you think. He's worked really hard in the weight room this off season uh, to just prepare for the durability it takes to, to get a number one and, and to take that kind of beating. Uh, I think that's one of the things that like, when you look back at Jared Bernhardt, you, you know, you got to tip your hat to, I mean, that the, the ball security and the, the fact that that kid played the way he did at the level he did with about with the, with the attention that he got, it's pretty remarkable. You know, and then yeah. he turns around has a remarkable football season, you know? So, <laughs> I mean, just, just those guys are just hard to come by. And I think Jack has the frame to, to really be able to, to have the ball on his stick for periods of time and, and potentially, like you said, take that next step as a, as a coordinator in our offense um, with guys around him. You mentioned guys that are hard to come by. You think of the guy that just left and Ryan Tarafenko on the field. What are you going to miss the most about him? He would fill every single spot, it felt like, at the box score. I mean, I knew you yeah. probably can't do that with one person, right, in, in terms of what you're going to miss of him out of, the, out of the loop now. Yeah, I mean, I think you see but like, if – if someone came to watch Buckeye lacrosse play for the first time, you know, what would they say after the game ended, you know, regardless, you know, and you, you, you hope one of those things would be uh, they play with, with toughness, right? Mm -hmm. they, they play hard. And one thing that you always felt like Ryan did is, man, is he, he played his tail off. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, he took that to a whole nother level, you know, his motor, his engine, his competitive fire. Um, it was second to none. And so I think that regardless of the, the role he played, where he was playing, you know, you just felt like when he stepped on the practice field, when he stepped on the game field, you, you had to level up, you know, because Ryan was going to take it to a level that maybe you weren't willing to go. 
And I felt like that was something he brought for us. Got to give everybody confidence. Um, but we've also grown from that. I think there's a lot of guys that have seen that. You know, I look at a Connor Camille who's, you know, played a lot. Even when Ryan was out for those five games, he's a sophomore for us. And, you know, we got some guys that are really stepping into his role. But I think as a team, we appreciate that, you know, we got we to gotta carry that, that flag as a, as a Buckeye. You know, I mean, before Ryan was a guy like Dominique Alexander. I mean, there's going to be another guy that comes in that, has to be kind of your tough guy, if you will, and, and really set the tone. And I think we're, we're going through that process of figuring out exactly who those guys are right now. So with your roster, we've mentioned the fifth-year guys. Obviously, you've also had some guys leave and transfer. You've had some guys come in. And just as a larger thing with the transfer portal, especially with this extra year of eligibility that all these guys have, how have you tried to approach it? Because I think every coach has a different idea. You see some coaches that'll kind of take whoever wants to come. If their talent matches up, other guys are a little bit more selective. Like, how do you manage what, who's in there? Like, what it could mean to your program, who you want to reach out to? Like, how do you, how do you deal with it? Great question. Yeah, I think you're seeing that across all the sports right now, right? Yeah. Football's certainly going through it. Uh, basketball, you know, with, with a couple of, of, additions you can you can see where it's made a real impact for some teams in a lot of different sports I think speaking from our our, our standpoint you know this is something that we've always evaluated you know you go back to the to, to teams in the in there that we've had we've always had a guy or two you know that that we felt like um made sense from a from a need and and just was a character fit you know we have a 48 man roster cap you know so so simply put that's it you know, so at the end of the day, like we know whoever we bring in, it's got to be one of those 48. You know, we feel really strongly about the recruiting that we've done and we're, we're truly very invested there. So I think you got to find a, a young man that you feel like fits that 48, uh, complements guys that you have and, and most importantly, complements the, the character of your team. And I'll use a guy like Tyler Gallagher, for example. Here's a guy, he's a six year guy. You know, he's going to move on to med school. He's played at Lynchburg Division three. I think believe he was defenseman of the year. Yeah, um, in the conference, you know, but but oh, man, what an incredible young man. He's here. He's he's a, he's a great student. He's a great leader, um, very mature. And he's just been an incredible value add. And, he, and he's doing a great job defensively for us. You know, we, we have picked up a couple other guys. So there's no easy answer to that. I yeah. think one, it's got to be a need. B, it's got to have a great character fit. And, and, and C, it's got to it's got to be inside that 48. You know, we're not flexing a 50 or 60. So some of those conversations about, well, how does this affect freshmen? 48, 48, I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, you got as good a chance to play as you ever did. So I, that's kind of how I look at, at least for our, our standpoint, our roster's not getting bigger. So the same opportunities there, just got to come in and, and make it happen. So that's, that's where I'm at. I, I think yeah. right now it's good. I think the NIL is going to have a bigger impact in the next year or two on our sport than the transfer portal, candidly. I mean, you hit on it, and, and you guys obviously, have, you watch Mitchell Pelkey and everything he's doing. He was like one of the first lacrosse guys anywhere to have deals. Like, at, what is it about the NIL in lacrosse that you feel is going to make such a big impact? Yeah. Well, I, I'll speak to Mitch first. I think Mitch's yeah. doing it right. You know, obviously I'm biased. He's, he plays for the Buckeyes, but right. I mean, he's, he's a guy that's not saying, Hey, look at me. I'm, I'm a great lacrosse player. Pay me. Mm -hmm. Right. He, he's a guy that has a skill set, right. Um, and an extraordinary one. And he's saying, look at, I'm willing to make sacrifices. I'm, I'm not going out on the weekends. I'm going to focus on school. I'm going to focus on the cross. I'm going to cut back some social activity potentially or, or, or areas of my life to build a business, you know, and that's what he's doing and he's yeah. doing a great job of it, you know? And so I, I got a ton of respect for a young man like that, you know? And so his deals are coming to him as a product of hard work, you know? And I think anytime you have an athlete, I mean, my, my, my niece, 
my brother's daughter just went to the Charlotte North lacrosse camp. Charlotte, she, she ran an incredible camp. Yeah. You know, she was at my house for Christmas. She got a Charlotte jersey. She went <laughs> to the camp. I think that's outstanding. I it's think amazing. where the NIL and where you're starting to see the other the other side of it, maybe the unintended or whatever it may be, is, is you know, alumni groups starting to form. The portal being used as more of like a free agency opportunity. Hey, can you pay me? Are we going to start to get see recruiting where, where potentially – a recruit is going on a visit, but the, the visit has partially to do with like what's available for me if I come here or there. I'm not sure that's the spirit of it as much as it is as it, as it, as it was intended to be. So as as that starts to evolve, as it is in other sports already, yeah. I worry, does that potentially creep into lacrosse? Um, I hope it doesn't, because I think the way Mitch is executing it is exactly the way it was intended to do it. Yeah, I was wondering what you thought about, because obviously yeah. you said at the other sports, you know, football and whatever, it's almost, and sometimes athletes are also maybe using it for leverage of their own, you know what I mean? And go in the portal just to maybe get something wherever. I was wondering if you thought that how, if that is something that you think could hit lacrosse too. I hope not. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I hope not. I don't think it's necessarily, I hope that's not conceived as I'm not pro athlete. I, I really am. I, I think athletes deserve an opportunity, as I said, to, 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 make their opportunity off of their name, image, and likeness. I, I think where where we start to enter into it becoming a professional sport, you know, where where it's deals. And, and now as a coach, I'm feeling compelled to, you know, network with folks or, or I can't, but I should, or, or who do you know? It just seems like there's a lot of gray area there that, that I'm starting to hear that happening in other sports. And I wonder, is that a matter of time before it gets in ours? My, my hope is that there's a surge here in this year or two, and then and then things. I don't think it's sustainable. Yeah. To have players played at a level that maybe you know we're talking about right now over over time, you know. So I think a thousand dollars here, five thousand dollars here, are are, are are is it realistic to think that college lacrosse players are going to be getting paid like big time deals when they're not getting paid that at the at the professional level? Yeah. I guess I struggle with that a little bit to yeah. see that that being our future. Um, right now though, I think for, for the way the guys are using it and Mitchell's a great example. And I think Charlotte North, another one on the women's side, I think it's a home run. I, I think it's just, it's, it's a great way for, for athletes that have that ambition and, and have the kind of the, the skill sets to do it, whether it's through camps, through social media, whatever it may be home run. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a learning process for everybody and for companies. You got to figure out, all right, what is the value of this, and then we'll only learn over the next several years what the value of an Instagram post from somebody like Charlotte North or Mitchell Pelsky is, and then you, you right. learn off of that. Yeah, that's good discussion. So let's flip to Team USA because you're going to speak at, at LaxCon here coming up uh, in the next week. And you're the head coach of the U.S. now U21 team. We've had a couple of different evolutions of this tournament. We're going to hopefully have it happen this summer. What's it been like to have to go through all the different delays and everything, and now hopefully we finally look at a tournament this summer in Ireland? It's been awesome. Yeah, I mean, it has. You got it's, it's a half-full approach. You know, I think there, there certainly was um, – there is always it with the national – teams you know the process of, of getting your team if you will is is exciting but incredibly challenging um you know when you're talking about bringing people in letting people go having people on making a change that that part i i, I just it's grueling mm-hmm. uh, and i think we had gotten that process kind of to the point with a timeline of the summer so then when that hit you know we had about a year and a half before we even saw the group that we had 
last June, the target was really just to see them. You know, some of the guys that were on the team were Ivy guys. So we targeted June as a chance just to, just to reconnect. And, and then we came back this fall here in Columbus and, and set up a weekend where we played North Carolina, played Ohio state. And, and that was really more of a training camp. That was really more of an evaluation. Um, you know, Canada did something similar. They, you know, they went from a group that they had it down to like 30, they bumped it back up to 50 or 60 and did a camp in November. And so I think just with, with the process of maturation and growth with, with these athletes, um, we needed to, to at least look at some other guys that were in the pool. Now, we didn't go outside the pool. Yeah, uh, We stayed true to who you had had to have applied, even if it was four years ago. So we didn't take anyone that had not applied. And I think that's important to state. Um, so there was certainly a, tr a process there. But we did bring in some individuals that we felt like had initially been in the pool and process, and we had let go and evaluated them, um, made some, some, some de final decisions. And we feel really strongly about, you know, the 23 men that we have right now. And, you know, listen, it's a long spring season. You, you certainly hope every one of those guys has a great spring and, and stays healthy, but you know, you never, you just never know what's going to happen. I think right now we're in a good spot going into the year and there's a lot of excitement around the potential uh, of hitting Ireland next summer. And I say potential because I don't think we've learned anything from the pandemic. Nothing's guaranteed. No. I think we, we are excited about the opportunity that we feel like lies ahead. You talk about the guys as individuals, and that's something you're going to touch on at LaxCon this year and speak a little bit about that and sort of what it means and also who are the type of people and athletes that are on these teams. And I guess in terms of it's more than just the talent, of course, on the field that makes them who they are and, and you know, as impactful as some of the best players in their countries. And I, and I think for you as an evaluator, that's, that's probably a big part of it too. Yeah, it, it's been fun. I mean, it's been such a great group of men to be around. Um, you know, I start dropping names. I, I'm sure I'll leave guys out. But, I mean, I, I, off the top of my head, you, you think about someone like a Liam Entman, you know, Graham Bundy, you know, Kirst, um, you know, guys that that just right out of the gates, man, they're, they're so genuine. It's so obvious that this means so much to them. Um, and I think it just resonates, you know, right away. Like, hey, listen, man, let's just let's just check the egos at the door. Let's let's put on the red, white and blue and let's get to work, you know, and let's have some fun doing it. And I, and I think that that attitude, that approach, um, that willingness to allow us as coaches to, to pour into them and coach them hard. Uh, I didn't really know what to expect. You know, these guys have been in colleges for now two years. It's not a high school guy anymore. Um, so I didn't know. I think may, are they, maybe they're going to be a little more stubborn. Are they going to be as receptive to the USA way that we started with? And, and I was just so incredibly impressed with their approach that weekend to come in on a Friday night, kind of get thrown together. And then, and then, and then the way they competed versus Carolina the next day, it, it was something that, you know, as a USA coach, but I think just as a, a fan of the game, you'd be proud of the way those kids competed wearing the red, white, and blue. And that's something we talk about a ton. It's just like, it, it is a huge responsibility anytime you wear those colors um, and the way that you, you, you treat not only each other, but the opportunity. And, and I think those guys I mentioned are just the tip of the, the spear. It, it, it's across the board. That's been a big part of this evaluation because there are just so many great players, as you guys know. So you, yeah. you kind of have to narrow it down using some other criteria. Yeah, tell, tell you what, you mentioned uh, Cole Kirst's name. Uh, he came in to this program to start. It was like it was before his sophomore year, and now he's going to be leaving college before you guys play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think he'll probably end up doing one more year at Lehigh. Patriot League coaches probably don't want to hear that, but, you know. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. You want a name that doesn't get talked about enough. There's yeah. one. You know, I tell you right now, and that's 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 no disrespect to Cav or O'Neal. Those guys are incredible. You know, Grimesy. I mean, we got, we got some dudes. 
and, and some names that, that you know. But I'll tell you right now, man, like if you're picking a pickup team, you're going to have a hard time convincing me that there's someone that's more impactful, tougher, and is going to bring more value um, than, than Cole Kirst. I mean, I, I just he's, – he's a total dude. I had the privilege of, of, of playing pickup hoops with his dad for summer after summer at Cardigan Mountain when I was growing up as a kid. And I can remember the Curse brothers being in my drills. I was a, I was a counselor. Um, so it's, it's just been, um, it's been really cool. I got a really nice letter from his mom through the process, just, you know, making that connection and, and uh, incredible family, incredible people. Um, and, and he just, like I said, his spirit about him is, is just awesome. So, you know, I'm, I'm really hoping he has a, a big year for, for, uh, for Coach Cassis and Lehigh. And I think he's a guy that, quite frankly, just needs to be talked about more. I think he's that good. Yeah. Not for sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a good point. All those brothers, like you said, like they they uh, they certainly made their impact on the sport. They, you see the brothers, you know, the family come, come you know come across every so often. But like you said, that's another good one too. Well, uh, hey Nick, uh, we appreciate all the time, man. Uh, thank you. Good luck with the the speech at LaxCon, and good luck as you get ready for this year. We cannot wait to see you guys back in action and some non conference games too, not just Big Ten play. <laughs> appreciate you guys. Take care. Cool. Thanks, Thanks Nick. Nick. So she's a first-team All-American in USA Lacrosse Magazine, the reigning CA Player of the Year. Carson Harris joins us now. Carson, thank you so much for coming on, uh, coming off the holiday season. Any good gifts or anything you got over the course of the last few weeks? Yeah, um, for sure. I think I'm, I'm trying to upgrade my outfit a little, my outfits a little bit. So I'm, I'm, I finally, I almost got cool girl jeans for the first time in a long time. Wow. Congratulations. I mean, that's a big step in anyone's life. I think I haven't gotten jeans yeah. in like 10 years. So, I mean, good for you. Are, are, you the, to <laughs> are the cool girl jeans now like away from skinny jeans? Is that what I've been hearing? Yeah. And I held out for a long time. I was like, no, there's no way this is coming back into style. Like, I'm not doing this. Um, but yeah, now the whole new style is just like, I think they were called ultra high rise and nineties jeans is what I bought, which is wow. but hmm. interesting. Yeah. yeah. What's old is new again. Yeah. You're talking to a couple of guys about girl jeans. So we're, we're lost on that's lost on us. All right. Right. <laughs> I, I just know my wife has continued to hold out, so we'll we'll see when we get to that when we get to the, the uh, done with the skinny jeans phase. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, yeah, didn't let, expect to start on that. Let's, who knew well, jeans? <laughs> let's talk some lacrosse. You guys are coming off first NCAA tournament in program history last year. When did you guys know last year was going to be special? Um, I think. Pretty early in the season, honestly, uh, we, I, I always say the Georgetown game was my biggest, um, like momentum shifter for me because that was a game, obviously we were nervous. Georgetown's a big name. We're going into it feeling prepared, um, but you're never really sure. And we just went out and played the best lacrosse that I've ever seen us play. Um, and it wasn't even at that point about beating Georgetown. It was just about how good we looked on the field um, and how well we played, how fast we played, and how clean we played. And I think that gave everyone a lot of confidence for the rest of the season, um, just because how amazing we looked. And then we at Drexel, because I was when I was a freshman, I was a sophomore, we didn't really have winning records. And I think that was the moment where we were like, all right, we're a winning team. Like We were able to kind of develop a winning mentality. And once we got that, we were pretty unstoppable. 
Yeah, I find it interesting watching the way you play, your style there. And, of course, with Jill moving on and you bring in Kim Hillier, too, I'm sure things might be a little different. But still, you got this, a lot of the same personnel coming back. I guess I find that so unique to the CAA, too. Like, do you feel like that's an advantage both in and out of conference? Just a little bit more up and down, fast pace. Like, do you feel like that has helped your success and maybe turn sort of the dial on things and become a little bit more successful as a program? Yeah, for sure. I think that the CAA especially, um, and even really specifically to our team, is just this grit mentality. I think every CAA game is just a battle um, in terms of speed and just pure grit. And I think now we're really excited, especially with Kim, to take it to that next level where now we have played with grit. We know what passion is like. Like Jill helped us love the game again. Um, and now we can use that and that same grit that you find in the CAA and also add in all of those powerhouse skills that you find in like the ACC and the Big Ten that we can kind of help um, incorporate into our game as well. So I think it's definitely helped us go to the next level um, and we can go even higher. We talk about the CAA all the time, men's and women's, and you mentioned grit. It's the word that everybody, every coach, every player throws around. For you, was that something you developed once you got to Drexel, or were you, like, priding yourself on being a gritty, kind of do-it-all player before you got there? Um, I've definitely been always a very gritty player. Um, like, my dad, it's a running joke in my family that I'm the most unathletic D1 lacrosse player, like, you will ever be. Um and so I never really was able to rely on just pure stick skills. That was never really my thing. Um, and so I think because of that, I just developed this grit. And I figured if I can out-hustle everybody, then it doesn't matter. Just My stick skills just have to be good enough at that point. And I think um, – so I think that's kind of – I've always been that player that's just like, all right, we're going to out-hustle and we're going to out-grit and hope the stick skills catch up. So that's kind of always been how I am. But wait, you say you're unathletic. Didn't you run track in high school? Yeah, you're one of the fastest lacrosse players <laughs> I've ever seen, Carson. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I did run track, run track, and I did also play soccer in high school. So, um, all right, so let's <laughs> so, so not completely but, unathletic. <laughs> but if you asked me to play any other sport, you wouldn't even think that I knew how to play. Like, watching me <laughs> play baseball is unbelievable. Watching me throw football is unbelievable. Like, I have very specific skill sets. <laughs> All right, that's fair. That's I mean, fair. It's interesting that you talk about that because I think I read an article where you were mentioning, like, you wanted to set the record in draw controls last year. Instead, I mean, you did it in goals, of course, and but draw was sort of what you really wanted to do. I think that really, you know, is a mentality that not everybody has. You know, people want to score goals all the time, and you did that, but draw to me for you was so important as well. Like, that probably speaks a lot to what your mindset is going into a season, into a game, right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I think um, Kim's mentioned at this point to me also that she's noticed that when I'm getting draws, I score goals. Or when I'm scoring goals, I'm winning draws. Like they're very connected in my game. Um, and I think that is truly because it goes back to what I just said about like that grit and hoping your stick skills follow. Because when I'm winning draws, like I'm, I feel um, very empowered on the field. Like that's one of my favorite things to do because it is just such a hustle thing. Um, and also it's just such a smart thing. Like I love trying to like outsmart people on the draw, I think. And um, that kind of helps me feel more confident in the rest of my play. 
for sure. Yeah, yeah it's, the, it's the whole defense into offense mentality of like mm -hmm. a lot of other sports. Y you mentioned trying to hone in on your draw skills. And I, I remember watching Kayla Trainer do it at Syracuse, who like never took draws for the first couple of years and all of a sudden just decided, all right, I'm going to do this and became one of the best in, in the country. And we've seen Charlotte North go from just being an offensive player to jumping in and taking draws. What is it about being a great player and deciding maybe even later in your college career, you know what, I want to go to the draw circle and be that person too? I think that, well, I'm very lucky because I started out there, like my since my freshman year, I've been on the circle, so I've had a lot of um, luck in terms of just like kind of consistently getting my game better in that aspect. Um, but I think the mentality is, is that you just want to be a part of everything, especially when you have that confidence on the field and you've kind of built that confidence. It just makes you want to be a part of everything. Like you want to be the one, especially for me, like I want to be the one on defense getting like cause turnovers and I want to be the one on offense scoring goals. And it's kind of settled into that middle too, where I want to be an impact between the thirties, which is obviously helps with the draw. So I think for me, at least I can't speak obviously for Kayla Trainer or Charlotte North, but I think it's just, wanting to make an impact every single place that's possible. Um, and that's kind of led me to love the draw so much, I think. Yeah, and obviously it's contributed to everything else you do, as you mentioned, yeah. for sure. So I, I want to ask you this, because I, I talked to Kim right after she got the job, and I think it was either before or after the interview, I'm like, oh, I, I know there's a lot of upperclassmen last year, like, who you got? You know, I don't want the cupboard to be bare. And she goes, Oh, majority of everybody's coming back. I go, whoa, like that's incredible that, that have that much talent coming back from such a close knit group. So like for you guys, was it a group chat? Did you all decide together? Was it individually on coming back? I know it's not every single person, but the majority of your core is there. How did that all come to fruition in which you guys are like, yeah, we're going to try to run this back. Yeah. Oh, there was definitely talk behind the scenes. About who was <laughs> like we got all the calls from Jill. I think I don't even remember when it was, but, um, that was kind of like, okay, do you guys want to come back? What are you guys thinking? And we were all like, yeah, we'll think about it. And immediately got off the phone and texted like our group chat. And we're like, all right, I'm only going if you're going. Like, what, what are we doing here? Like, Lucy, I, Lucy always says like, I was coming back if you three were coming back. And <laughs> and I was like, I'm coming back if Colleen comes back. Like we all had, and like Colleen was with Zoe. Like we all were like, all right, if the four of us are here, like we're all in. So um I think that you could have pulled a couple of us without the four, but the four of us were definitely one of us wasn't going to let all three of them stay and us not stay. If that makes sense. Like yeah. it was either it wasn't an all or nothing deal, but there was no way one of us was going to back out if the three of us stayed. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there, there was definitely talk. Yeah. And but then you have the coaching change, which probably plays a little bit into the role when now in the fall with Kim, what's been similar and what's been different from what you guys have been used to over the last couple of years with Jill. Yeah, I think um, we are also obviously incredibly grateful for everything that Jill did for us. Um, and Jill, like I said earlier, really taught us how to love lacrosse. Um, she like taught us so much passion and hard work. Um, and Kim, I think Kim is definitely a little bit more of like brings a little bit of an intensity with her that just kind of makes you you're just locked in like the whole practice. I think things are really, really fast with Kim. Um, you're never standing the first week of fall ball. I was the most tired I've ever been in after practices, literally ever. Like we were so sore. Everyone was exhausted. Um, and eventually, obviously, we figured it out. But I think with Kim, like there's no you get no rest in practice. Like everything is go, go, go. And she does it. Obviously she knows exactly how to prepare a team. So 
I think that's part of why we're all looking forward to the spring so much because we're excited to show off everything we've been doing this fall. Um, and it's definitely been fast and a huge emphasis on kind of just your basic stick work and stuff like that because we've never, that's never been our strong suit. So we're learning, um, we're learning stick work again, kind of like right from the beginning, starting with the like on your knees, throwing and catching, very basic. And we've kind of worked our way through the fall. So it's definitely been fun. Yeah, so obviously you had such a great regular season, the best in program history, and then, you know, you competed so hard in the postseason, only to lose the JMU in the, in the overtime game where things were kind of funky in the overtime. I, I did the game. I know what happened at the end of that game, Carson, and then you get to the NCAA tournament and you lose to Rutgers. How much is that part of, you know, your every single day thought process, uh, you know, especially like you said, you work so hard in fall ball now as you approach the spring here? Yeah, I think um, it's definitely a redemption season for us. I think those those two games were definitely like impactful in the way that we kind of approach the fall and how we're approaching the spring. I think we do want to prove. Um, I think it's it's not even just those two games. We want to prove to everyone that we are a top twenty team. Like we belong in the top twenty. Um, like last year wasn't a fluke, and I think it was kind of easy for people to pull those last two games in and say like, oh, they plateaued. Like oh, they they started to fall off. Like it was just a fluke. So I think this season in general is going to be fun to prove to everyone that like, no, we're a top 20 program. We are very good. Um, and we're ready to bring it for the next couple of years. So. Yeah. I, I feel like for some, for a program that accomplished such a huge feat last year, it also kind of gives you a chip on your shoulder still at how it ended. Like, it's like you got the best combination of both coming into this year. Right. Like we have all of that confidence that we developed last season. We're still so confident in ourselves. Um, and then at the same time, we still have something to prove. We still have something to do, which honestly I'm looking forward to because, you know, there's, there's still unfinished business we have to attend to. And that's definitely the best motivator. So. All right. We can't have anybody on here that goes to school or is from Philadelphia with ask it without asking a Wawa order. Like what's your go-to? <laughs> oh God. Mine's like, I'm like a five-year-old. Um, <laughs> mine is a meatball sub and mac and cheese. <laughs> Boom! Wow. They've the really mac and cheese is good. Yeah, they've really expanded oh, yeah. over the last several years. They got mac and cheese now. They got all sorts of stuff. Also, if you've never had the chocolate, what's it called? The chocolate chocolate sip chip cream smoothie. Oh. I don't know what makes it different from a milkshake, but it's amazing. That's <laughs> also good. Good thing to have. <laughs> I'm going to have to try that. While we're talking food, so you're from Maryland originally, but obviously you've, you've made your home in Philly. Are, are you going, like, if you had to have one meal, are you going with um, a cheesesteak or a crab cake? Like, what's your go-to now that you've spent some time in different places here? Oh, crab crab cake all the way. I'm, I'm a huge crab person. I, hot take, don't love Philly cheesesteaks. Mm. Wow. I know. I know. But so I got to go crab. Good choice. Carson Harris throwing out hot takes <laughs> on, the, on the show. But she's good enough at lacrosse this where is true. everything else is it fine. Works. You can have as much, you can do that as much as you want. Like, I will keep you, right? <laughs> yeah, hopefully I'll be forgiven for the. <laughs> uh, Carson, we appreciate the time. Thank you so much. And we can't wait to watch you here this upcoming spring. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So, yeah, Carson was a joy yeah. to talk to and uh, a lot of fun and can't wait to see, you know, what they do this year and, you know, new coach and all that. But I think it's going to be fun. Of course, the CAA, you'll be able to see some of those games uh, right here. Yeah, new coach, but that program's not going anywhere. No. Kim Hillier is coming from Stony Brook. Yeah. She obviously oh. knows how to win. They're so. going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. They're going to be a lot of For fun. Sure. You hear Carson talk about some of the core group they have back and – 
Um, yeah, they were fun to watch last year. They play that up-style tempo. They play the that fast pace, and they play it pretty well, too. Yeah, they wouldn't have all come back if they didn't believe <laughs> right. that this could be a thing. Yeah, so they're, they got a shot. They're going to be competitive once again, uh, along with JMU and company in the CAA. Yeah, we'll talk about CAA in a couple weeks. Yes. We'll get uh, to that soon. But let's move to the newly formed on the men's side Atlantic Sun Conference. Yes. First year in men's lacrosse history uh, yeah. for the Atlantic Sun. It's a unique conference. They've got a couple of first-time teams having conference affiliation in Cleveland State and Utah. They joined the likes of Air Force in this conference. Who do you like? Robert Morris yep. also joins. They did not. They didn't have a conference after playing the NEC. They didn't have one last year. So a, a lot, lot of, of shuffling. A lot of shuffling. A lot of interesting teams. And uh, we're on the same page here, Travis and I, just to give it all away. We are both on the Air Force way of looking at things. They got a, a lot of guys back on, on both sides of the ball. And and I think that you, you look at some of the other teams that they're in a little bit of a rebuild mode, and like that sort of. Maybe what's going to happen in this conference is these teams will maybe find their footing, I think, a little bit more. And um, Air Force, I mean, they struggled a bit last year. They were 4-9 and nine in 2021 yeah. in the SOCON. I did like the win against Richmond at the end of the regular season last year, 9-8. to eight. That was a big victory for them. Got them into the tournament. Got them into the tournament. They ended up losing to Richmond. But that sort of shows you the, the, the bit of the potential that Air Force could have here. And, and you know, they, they bring back uh, their freshman attackman, Ethan Grandolfo, who had 30 points. So I think um, you bring back a lot of players and, and this conference is going to do well for you. I think that's what's the, the, the formula here. It's going to be so intriguing to watch because you have a team like Utah, who I think prior to changing coaching staffs and the things that happen in the, the offseason for the Utes, I think you would have looked at them as a first year team is a competitor but now yeah. it's a little bit of an unknown with Utah with the new coaching staff uh, out there in in Salt Lake City and then Cleveland State same thing first time that they have an opportunity in an AQ so I first of all just love the fact that you've got programs like a Cleveland State and Utah that for the first time realistically feel like they can make the NCAA tournament yeah and because yeah you finish in the top four of the conference and you win two games and you're in and all that, that, what that does, you talk to any coach who has started a program, you talk to Joe Amplo with what it meant at Marquette and, and elsewhere, getting in the NCAA tournament for the first time is a huge milestone. And for Utah and Cleveland State, it just wasn't going to get done until they found an affiliation. So, first of all, that's great. But good for the sport as great well. Great for the Not sport as well. these teams independent sort of floating around and, you know, that you get more competitive in that way too. Go on. But – Air Force has been there and done that. This yeah. is a team that competes with the upper echelon in Division One every year. They played Denver. They've played Duke in the past and challenged them. I Now, I don't know. They This isn't, I don't think, the type of team that's going to go on the road and beat Duke. But you mentioned Ethan Grandolfo as a freshman coming back. Anytime a freshman's your leading scorer, that's, a good, that's good news. They had a bunch of youth uh, on this program last year. Top five scorers all back. And both goalies who played time last year are back, including... Uh, Jason Rose, who was the starter at the end of the year, he was the one who had a nice game in the upset over Richmond uh, in, in the final game of the regular season that got them into the SOCON tournament before they then lost to Richmond in the semifinals. So I like the experience they have coming back, and I like the fact that they have competed in the SOCON before, yeah. unlike some of these other teams that I think will be in this conversation. Like, they know what the rhythm of 
having the opportunity to go to the NCAA tournament is. I, I like this as an opportunity for Air Force to punch a ticket. Yeah, absolutely. They bring back almost their whole rope unit as yep. well. And then the, the defensive end, like you said, the goalies too, which I think always helps. Uh, you have some of that stability at the end of the day. They also bring back a defenseman named Vince Lombardi. So I think that... Enough said. I mean, winning isn't a sometime thing. It's an all-time thing. The great Vince Lombardi once said the coach of the Green Bay Packers, not the defenseman for Air Force. But maybe he did. I don't know. I mean, you could say that he said that as well. I'm sure the defenseman at Air Force, Vince Lombardi, has also said that. I'll tell you what. If I'm that kid, my Instagram is just a bunch of Vince Lombardi <laughs> quotes. Like, talk about built-in audience. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. Let's go. I mean, you got Robert Morris, so I think they could find their footing they could more be competitive. here. You know, like, yeah. of course, it was kind of a funky year for them last lost, year. Lost their coach, who's now they're going to play at Utah. Right. And don't forget, Robert Morris won the NEC two years in a row before the pandemic hit. So I think they're another team that um, sort of has that been there, been there done that mentality. Yes, you, um, I agree. Been in the NCAA tournament. Only lost to Virginia by two points last year. Two, two, goals, two goals last year. So um, Robert Morris, one of those teams as well. Detroit Mercy, another team to, lock, to watch again. Sneaky. Um, a sneaky team coming over from the MAC um, this year as well. Brett Erskine um, is their returning attackman, and they've got some other guys coming back too. So it will be, I think, competitive, but like we, we both sort of feel that Air Force has enough coming back in the experience that, to come out on top. I think it's going to be a fun. It's going to be a fun conference to to watch. So yeah. Keep an eye on the, the new. Atlantic New Year, new conference. First time. Yeah. The women's side, they've had a conference uh, here before. I'm going with Jacksonville. Yeah, I and agree. I th you, you agree as well. It, this yeah. is a Dolphins program that just like meteoric rise last year. Of course, uh, many people will remember them knocking off Florida earlier in the season. It was a gigantic win for this Dolphins program. S shot them up right into the top 20, a place they spent uh, most of the season in. But I, in, in looking back at what they have coming back this year, not only do they have the player who is the Atlantic Sun Player of the Year in Sarah Ellis uh, coming back, but they also bring back the player, Jenny Kinsey, who was the preseason player of the year in the Atlantic Sun last yeah. year. So theoretically, they had two players who were some of the best in the conference entering the year who are both coming back. I think what they have coming back and the experience of last year, not only did they get to the NCAA tournament, they beat Vanderbilt. They won a round yeah, they won a game. Yeah. before losing to Florida in that rematch in the tournament. So I, I like the, the Dolphins yeah, to do it again. They put up 20 goals in that game, too, against Vanderbilt. 20-12 to 12 was the final. They bring back their goalie as well, Dana Martinetto. So, like we said, I mean, they've been at the top of this conference for a while. They, they've won four straight championships, I believe, in the Atlantic Sun. So, they are at the top. It's been Liberty has been that second-best team all along. Liberty is returning some, not a ton. They, they're top three scorers, but um, junior attacking Brooke Bryan, also someone to watch, 50 goals last year, I think, in total. Yeah, so that's, I mean, anybody scores 50 goals someone to keep an eye out for. So Liberty, probably their next uh, best competition after Jacksonville. But it looks like this will be another year for Jacksonville as they try to take that next step. And I think for a program like that, you know, you win an NCAA tournament game, it is what's next for you. And yes. uh, they'll try to do that with a lot of talent coming back. Top 20 team uh, yep. by, in some people's estimations, the preseason. So keep an eye on the Jacksonville women's squad. Uh, if you want to go back and watch any of our other previews, make sure you or listen to you can check back on the last couple of podcasts prior to last week. So there was kind of a year end episode. We had a we, we've previewed what else? Uh, Patriot League, the the Mac Mac. We talked about that as well. So go check a look, take a look back and get our predictions for some other conferences. We got more uh, conferences coming. coming up through the next couple of for weeks a, as we get ready. Less than a season. month, almost yeah. exactly a month away. Yeah. First weekend in February, game start. So game on. Um, you know, as of now, like we're a, we're a month away from lacrosse, which is wild. 
So stay tuned for more previews and interviews. But for now, that's all the time we've got. For Tom, I'm Travis. We'll see you next week.